0: Thessalonians chapter 1. You're going to go to the New Testament, go through the four Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you finally come to 1st Thessalonians. Before we get started, I would like to open up with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, God, we thank you for this time that we can gather together, God, to worship the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that as we move through this time of studying your Word, God, that we would understand that it is your Word, God. It has authority, and God, we pray that that none of us in here that we that we twist it or we we make it what we want it to be. But God, we take it at what it tells us and what it commands us to do, and Father, that we as Your children, we will be obedient to it. We would trust it. And God, we would trust you. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for everything that you've given to us. And Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus. Who died for us, who paid the price for our sins. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in his name. Amen. I actually think I said 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, but actually we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This morning. Chapter 2, just one chapter after chapter 1, and looking at verse 8. Now, it's been a few months, but we have actually been very slowly going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. I think it's probably been about three months now since we have been in 1 Thessalonians, but we got through about verse 7, and we're going to be looking at verse 8 this morning and studying a little bit further, just looking at two verses and seeing what Paul is telling us here in this very important special letter that we see written by him. And a little bit of context of what has been going on here with this church. Paul went into this town of Thessalonica, which was a very large town. He began to preach the gospel. And we see people being saved from that experience, from that preaching of the gospel. Paul spends about two weeks with them. And because of his life being in danger, and we see the whole story unfold in the book of Acts, Paul has to leave. Paul and Silas have to leave very quickly. And so Paul becomes concerned for them. We've seen in chapter 1 that, that the letter is actually addressed uh, from Paul, Silvanus, or Silas and Timothy because Paul sends Timothy to check on this church. He's concerned for them. He's, he's curious about how they're doing since he had to leave so quickly and so abruptly. And he receives a good report. They're, they're doing well. He even says that they're being examples because of their faithful witness of the gospel message. He says in chapter 1 that the gospel has echoed out from them, so that everyone knows what they are about. And because of that, Paul is rejoicing. And we get into chapter 2, and Paul is reminding them of his ministry to this church, to this area, and the testimony of what he has been doing, and what he is still doing with this church at Thessalonica. See, there, after Paul left and Silas left, there was this rumor that was started. People who, who tried to harm the church, who told the people, hey, hey, Paul, actually, he wasn't here for you. He didn't love you. He was removed from you. He was only curious about what he could get from you. Well, we're right in the middle of Paul reminding them of his testimony and how that simply was not the case. So let's look there in verse 8 and in verse 9. Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have had become very dear to us. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So verse 9 there, he's reminding them, remember how we were among you. We worked among you. We weren't a burden from you. We we were working for ourselves and we weren't dependent on you. We were simply here to share the gospel of Christ. And he tells them that in verse 8. He says, being affectionately desirous. That's a phrase that just means that he was fervently loving them by sharing the gospel and even sharing his own self with them as he told them who Jesus was. Now, I want you to look at verse 8, because this is very interesting to me as we study this scripture and as we talk about Paul's testimony to this church. He not only says that he is sharing the gospel with them, he says, but also our own selves, he says, we're not just telling you the gospel message. We're not just handing you a piece of paper with the gospel laid out on it. We're, we're sharing our very selves. We are self-sacrificially giving ourselves so that you might know the gospel. So that you might know about Jesus. Paul wasn't just moving through these towns, sharing the gospel, and then as quickly as he could leaving and forgetting about this people. That's why he wrote this letter. Right. That's why he sent correspondence to these churches, because he not only shared the gospel with them, he shared his very self and his heart. And he continued to reach out to them, to teach them, to share the gospel and to disciple them. What we see in this letter is that Paul is concerned about their discipleship. He's concerned about the fruit that is being produced in their life. They came to know Christ, but that wasn't the last of it. He wants to know how they're doing now. Paul didn't just go through, share the gospel, and forget about them. He was concerned for them. Paul was discipling this church. Paul was discipling this people amongst all of the people that Paul ministered to. And as we think about this, as we we think about this letter in the context of what's going on, that's going to be our theme this morning. Discipleship. Discipleship among the church. So if you would, very quickly, turn to Matthew chapter 28, looking at verse 18. And already, as you're turning there, you're like, I already know the scripture, right? Most of us, we have it memorized before we even read it, we know what it's talking about. Like, oh gosh, it's going to be another Matthew 28, 18 through 20 sermon, right? We, we've got the new year coming up, in case you didn't realize that, right? It's, it's like three days away, coming closer to 2020, right? Anyone in here have any New Year's resolutions? I don't make any because I don't want to be disappointed anymore, right? That's, that's the way it works, right? Right? We, we see these messages and we think, oh, goodness, I know that we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to talk about these things. But the issue is oftentimes we aren't. Like we all know that it's healthy for us to exercise regularly, right? Do we know that? I'm getting a confident head nod from Janice Goodwin. Good. We know that. Do we do it? <laughs> no. I'm getting a confident no from Candace. No, I don't do it. I know that. I understand that. Right? But I don't do it. And so as we're looking at this well-known Scripture and command from Christ, don't just check out because you've heard this Scripture. Don't just become numb to it because you've heard it so often. I I encourage you, I implore you this morning, look at this Scripture with fresh eyes. So, So before we look into it, understand what's going on in the context. Jesus is about to ascend Heaven. Jesus has already risen from the dead. It's been about 40 days since he's risen from the dead. He's revealed himself to around 600 people. We see that in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul talking about that testimony. And here we see Jesus with his remaining 11 disciples about to ascend into heaven. He's talking to them, been teaching them, been showing them signs for three years, and he's about to leave them. And we see in this passage the final command that Jesus gives to his disciples. And so we need to understand the context and the weight of this command because of what's going on. This is Jesus' last command to His disciples. This is His last in-person statement He is going to give to these eleven disciples. And because of that, it has weight. That's the first reason. the second reason is understanding that this commandment is listed in Scripture more than any other commandment that Jesus gives five separate times. All four Gospels in the book of Acts. We see this commandment from Jesus. Jesus is giving this final commandment to His disciples. And because of that, there is weight to it. Imagine for a moment. Tomorrow is Monday. Lord willing, we all make it. Imagine if I'm leaving the house, going into the office, and I know, somehow I know that it's my last conversation with my lovely wife. There she is, right there. She's rolled her eyes at me. That's that's my goal every single sermon. get her to roll my eyes at her eyes at me. Okay? And I know it's my final conversation with her. What do you think it's going to be about? You think I'm going to say, hey honey, don't forget to feed the dog this morning. No. It's going to carry weight. It's going to carry importance because I know, I understand this is this is it. And when we understand the scripture and look at the context of what's happening, this is the final command Jesus gives to his disciples. So so let's look at it. Let's look at it. Verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is how Jesus prefaces this command. He reminds them and tells them that he has all authority. Now, authority gives the person a right to say something or even command someone to do something. And so when we're talking about people with authority, no one has the authority that Jesus does. He has all of it. it look at what he says there. All authority. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus has always had this authority. Jesus is always who he has always been. Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. Right, church? He never changes. And so Jesus telling them before this commandment, remember, I have all authority. And church, let me tell you this morning, no matter what you think about Jesus, your thoughts about who Jesus is does not change who He actually is. Let me illustrate it this way. I have an identical twin brother, in case you guys didn't know that. I think we all know that at this point. But Devin, out and about, it's one of the funniest things we've experienced in ministry. Devin, out and about, has had students. Tanner, you've experienced this, haven't you? Tanner's an example. Has had students who have seen Devin at Walmart, because that's where you see people, and just knew it was Damon and ran up to him, and hugged him, and high-fived him. Did you hug Devin that day? Yeah, yeah, they they hugged him. Just knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that that was Damon. And guess what? It wasn't. It was not me. No matter how many people think that Devin is Damon, it's never going to be that way. He's always going to be Devin. And let me tell you something, church. No matter what you think about Jesus this morning, it does not change who He actually really is. He is the Lord of all creation. He is the Savior of the world. And He has all authority. Every bit of it. And then He gives the command. It's a great way to set up a command. Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. It's been given to me. Verse 19, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That word go, he's talking about as they're moving through life. As you are going through your life, this is what you ought to be doing. He says, go, therefore, Because I have all authority, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. He is talking to the followers that he has, his disciples. In church, he is speaking to us as individual Christians as well. He commands us to go and make disciples. So, What does that mean? It means that every Christian who calls on the name of Jesus to be saved and is saved by Him needs to be actively involved in the process of disciple making. Making disciples of Christ. He says you are to be making disciples of all nations. He gives this global scope of the Great Commissions. It's not just confined to our community. It's a command that echoes throughout our entire That we as followers of Christ, as disciples ourselves, are to be going and making disciples of Jesus. What is a disciple, you might ask? Well, it's not only someone who has believed in Jesus, not just a head knowledge, just a saying, yeah, he existed. No, you believe with every fiber of your being and who he is, that he died for you, that only in him do you have salvation. It means as a disciple that you're also a follower of Jesus. You are following him daily. You are confessing Jesus, not just when it's easy. You're confessing who Jesus is in the difficult places, the difficult areas of your life. And being a disciple also means that you are a carrier of the cross. Jesus said, anyone who wishes to be my disciple must deny himself, carry his cross and follow me. And so we are to be, as individual Christians, part of a local body of Christ, this church, we are to be making disciples. In church, it goes much deeper than just a profession of faith. It is to take those who have a saving faith in Jesus, bring them alongside us, and be intentional in their discipleship. The profession of faith, that's just... The beginning. As difficult as it may be for us to see and understand, in Scripture, Jesus here does not command us to make decisions. He commands us to make disciples. To make disciples. It's a very simple equation. Disciples make disciples. And those disciples make Disciples. It is this pattern that we see in Scripture that Jesus commands us to be actively involved in as individual Christians as we are living our lives and following after Jesus.
1: So how are we doing?
0: Are we doing well at that? Every new year brings a time of self-evaluation, as difficult as that may be. I think it's healthy for us as a church to have those moments as well as individual Christians. How are we doing in this process of discipleship? Are are we doing well? Well, let me throw some statistics at you. There's a book that was partially written by a gentleman named Ken Ham. He's kind of the the head of this ministry called Answers in Genesis. And and they did a book called Already Gone. And the focus of the book was focusing on specifically kids and, and teenagers And it was focusing on those who grew up a part of the church and asking the question, okay, are they being discipled? What's happening to them after they leave this church and grow up and become adults? And their study was quite shocking. It showed that 65% of all children and youth who pass through our churches will become adults, go off to college, and will have nothing to do with the church as an adult. 65%. In church, that's not a projection. That's happening now. That's going on at this moment. So, so to put it into perspective for Southside Baptist Church, because I think that's important. On a good Wednesday night, we have about 100 kids over, over in the gym. Anyone who's a part of a WAN, you can attest to that. Anyone who's a part of a youth. We, amen, yes, we have a good group of students. Thankfully, we're thankful for it, and God blesses us with that. But if we're just a part of this statistic, that tells us that of those 100 kids, 65 of them will have nothing to do with the church as an adult. 65 out of 100. Well, let's look at it from another perspective. Our denomination, Southern Baptist Church as a denomination, I believe it was last year, maybe in the year before, we baptized 7 million people in a year. That's quite a bit. But our membership didn't grow at all. We're able to baptize. But we're not able to keep. As difficult as it may be for us, we need to understand that this is not just an individual church issue. This is the entire system of how we are functioning. And church, with all the love of my heart to every single one of you, we need to understand and humbly admit that we are failing. We are failing in discipleship. Why? I don't know. I talk to pastors all the time and they don't know. I think this is a multifaceted question with many answers and many situations that, that present different challenges. But I think it's mainly because we've forgotten the process of discipleship. It's not about the event of church or the event of ministry. It's about the individual. It's about the individual person who God blesses us with that we are to see a profession of faith and begin to disciple. The American church, it's like we've been in this decades long experiment of event driven discipleship and it's failed. Church, to put it another way, we have mass produced a cheaper version of discipleship. And it's not working. Many of you know I play guitar, and I like guitars, like going and playing different guitars. And there's this one shop in Springdale called Sunrise Guitars, and and they don't have a lot of instruments, but they have a lot of high-end guitars. And, And we went into this one showroom, and you know it's really expensive when they have glass doors you walk into, you know? You walk in like, I don't belong here at all, but you go in anyways, right? And so we went in. And we're looking at these guitars, and there's Martins, and there's Taylors, and, and some of brands. But I, this one brand caught my eye because it was crazy expensive. And the brand's name is Bourgeot, And you know it's expensive when you can't pronounce it when you first see it. Someone has to tell you how it's pronounced. So I, I pulled this instrument off. And, and if you, you know anything about guitar shops, most of the time they're okay with you playing these instruments. So I pulled this guitar off the, off the shelf and looked at the price tag, and it was $4,500. One guitar. One guitar. That's it. It doesn't do your taxes or anything. It just, it's a guitar. You have to play it. That's all. Right? So, of course, I, keep, I, I play it. I pick it up. I play it. And, it, and it's wonderful. Right? It's, it better be at $4,500. Right? Well, uh, this manager comes in and, of course, there's that moment of, well, should we not be doing this? Or, he's like, no, no, keep playing. You're fine. And he started talking about this, this brand of guitars, this Bourjo guitar. And he said, yeah, they're very quality-driven. He said, as a company, in a year, they'll only make about 300 instruments. That's it. He said, opposed to a company like Yamaha, most of us, if you know anything about music, probably have heard about Yamaha, who makes about a million guitars a year. And of course, we see the price difference and we see the issue, but it's that simple argument of quantity versus quality. It's not so much about the number, it's about the quality of what we're producing at all. Discipleship is not about the crowds, it's about the individual. It's about the person that God has blessed us with to minister and to disciple as we see the opportunity present itself. We are to be discipling. So how do we change it? I think we have to start at the basics. I think we have to go into God's Word and ask that question and seek it and humbly look at it. We look into God's Word to understand and to see our greatest example of discipleship. And our greatest example is Jesus. We, we see three accounts of Jesus and his dealings with different types of people. And I believe it's our model for how we as a church are to evangelize and disciple the people that we see in our community and in our world around us. Firstly, we see Jesus dealing with the crowds. We see an example. If you want to turn there, feel free to John chapter six, verse thirty five. Jesus in his ministry dealt and ministered to crowds and crowds of people. And John chapter 6 has this account of Jesus feeding this group of 5,000 men, women, not including women and children. Uh, Some historians think that this could have been 15, even 20,000 people that Jesus is teaching and ministering to. And we know the story. We know the event that took place. Jesus miraculously provided this bread and fish. And it tells us that everyone had their fill. Imagine feeding that crowd at all. Not to mention in such a miraculous, incredible way. But in John chapter 6, it goes a little further. And we see this crowd of people the very next day. And they come back to Jesus. And church, any guesses of what they're looking for? They just had this free meal the day before. You think they're coming back to hear more teaching from Jesus? More food, right? We found this guy. There may have been more of them. We found this guy who can miraculously feed us with no effort at all. But Jesus doesn't give it to him. Instead, he uses the signs and the wonders and he points them to what they actually needed. And that's himself. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus evangelized the crowds. The crowds that Jesus had in His ministry, He always shared the Gospel with them. He always pointed them to what they actually needed. It wasn't physical needs, it was their spiritual need for Him, for salvation, for forgiveness from their sins. Jesus evangelized the crowds. But then we see Jesus kind of Bringing the focus in. And we see him choosing these 12 disciples. We see it in Luke chapter 6. It starts off and says, In those, these days he went out talking about Jesus to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he chose his disciples. In Luke chapter 6, the following verses it list the 12 disciples that Jesus chose? He chose them to walk with Him and to spend daily this three-year ministry that He had to go with Him to see what He was doing, to see the wonders, and to be taught by Him. Jesus was equipping the chosen. He was giving these eleven disciples who would remain with Jesus what they would need to go and to share the gospel and to establish the church in the book of Acts. So not only is Jesus doing these incredible things among these crowds, He's also taking this group of twelve and pouring into them and equipping them and giving them what they need. But He doesn't stop there. We would probably look at that and think, oh man, Jesus is a busy guy. He's doing all of these things. He's feeding these people. He's ministering to these crowds. He's even taking these twelve disciples that He's teaching away from the crowds. That's probably enough ministry. That's probably enough. There's probably nothing else He has to do. But He goes a step further. We not only see Jesus evangelizing the crowds. We not only see Jesus equipping the chosen We see Jesus being intentional with the few. It's not many occasions, but we see a few occasions in Scripture where Jesus pills off a handful of disciples and He reveals to them and teaches them further than the twelve. Peter, James, and John. We see it in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, the transfiguration of Jesus when He shows them His true form and who He is. We see it again in the book of Luke with the healing of, of the little girl. The the raising of the little girl from the dead. He, He takes these three and He goes further with them. He's intentional with the few. And He teaches them. And He leads them. And we see why. Peter and John become the pillars of the church. James becomes a very early martyr and an example of how to die for the faith. And Jesus is intentional with those few. We see Jesus our great example. We see him evangelizing the crowds. We see him equipping the chosen and we see him being intentional or discipling the few. In church, this is our pattern of ministry as a church in this community. We are to evangelize the crowds. We are to still take the gospel to those who don't know it, who haven't been saved by Christ, and tell them who Jesus is and share the gospel news. We're to evangelize the crowds. We're to equip the church. That's why we preach. That's why we have teachers. Ephesians 4, we see that laid out. Paul lays it out, verse 11 and 12. These leaders, these teachers, they're they're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But we're not supposed to stop there. We go the next step. And we're intentional with the few. Each one of us. As individual Christians look out at our life and see the people that God has placed there and we are to be working and being a part of the work of discipleship. We are to be intentional with the few that the Lord has blessed us with. Church, can we take a moment and try to imagine how that would change everything that we know about church? If every person in this room who truly knew Christ, took the gospel and not only shared it, but as people are being led to Christ by them, they also then begin to disciple them. They begin to teach them what God has taught them through the study of His Word. It would change everything. It would change the way we do church. It would change the way that we operate as a people. We would disciple. And we would work. And we would see the Gospel spread to those who don't know it. And the wonderful truth about disciple making is that those disciples that we make, they eventually make disciples. We teach them. We show them God's Word. And then they begin to do the same. It's Jesus' pattern for how we are to be doing individual ministry to the people in our lives. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the teacher's job. what Christ has commanded each one of us to be a part of. Sharing the joy of sharing Christ and discipling those who come to know Christ. But what is our motivation to do that? If you would, very quickly, to finish up, look, look at Matthew chapter 28 again. <clears throat> and go one verse up from that. Look at verse 17. Now remember what's going on here. Remember the context of what's happening. Jesus is about to, to give this final command and then He's going to ascend. I'll read verse 16, but our focus is going to be 17. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17, And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. Church, this is our motivation. As followers of Jesus, where do we find the motivation and the energy to do all of this and to be intentional in discipleship and even the giving of our own selves so that people come to know Christ and be discipled in Christ? It's through our worship. We worship Him and we obey Him because of it. In church, we have that decision now to either understand our responsibility in disciple-making and do it through our worship of Christ who has saved us, or, as verse 17 goes on to say, and when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. We can just keep going the way we've always went. We can just keep pretending that everything is going well and easy and that everything's great. And don't get me wrong, God has blessed us tremendously. And we are thankful for those blessings. But something has to change. And church, I don't know about you, but as I look at it, the issues that we have as a church, the issues we have as a society, it has to start with me. It has to start with me and the way that I live my life as a follower of Jesus. We have to understand God's word and the commands of it. To finish this morning, I'd like to finish with a a story. This is southeastern Oklahoma, so I think that most of you can probably relate to this story. We just got out of deer season, right? And... I had the the blessing this year of of setting with my wife, as she as she had the blessing of of getting her first deer. Made a great shot. Good job, honey. Did well. Made a better shot than me. That's not hard to believe. But then the very next day, we had had the blessing of going out with my my brother Devin, my my twin brother, and he's he's never gotten a deer. He's he's tried a few times, but so we went to some public land and we go to this one spot. And it just doesn't feel right, so we push a little bit further in. We're probably a mile in to this public land. And we're, it's kind of a difficult trek, right? It's up this hill, up this kind of mountainous area. And, and, of course, you all know how mountainous this area is anyway. So we're up on the crest of this hill. And we set down kind of on the edge of this clearing. And we're sitting there probably 20 minutes. It's about 1120 in the morning. And all of a sudden, this deer steps out. He must have been blind or something. I don't know. But he steps out. Devin pulls up, makes a great shot, and that deer just falls right there. And man, it was such a blessing to be out there and to experience that. And of course, anyone who's experienced that, you know the kind of the adrenaline and the feelings of it. And so we sit there, and we're in this moment of seeing this accomplishment, and we just kind of get to relish in it, right? We're letting the, the deer lay for a while just for safety reasons, and we just kind of relish in the moment. And five minutes pass, and we, we talk about... How it all happened in ten minutes. Do the same thing. We have lunch. We're just relaxing, right? But then, I don't know if it was me or if it was Devin. One of us said, you know, the work's about to really start. Because we couldn't forget that we're up on this mountain. And we've got to get this out to the truck somehow. It's not going to be easy. But it's going to be worth it. And church, let me tell you, it is such a blessing to share the Gospel with people in our community and to see them respond to it and be saved by faith. But that's not the end of our job. In many ways, that's just the beginning. Our work has just begun. We are to take those who respond to the Gospel and we are to disciple them. I pray, church, as we enter into a new year, That we would begin to do so by the grace of God. By the grace of God, that He would give us what we need to share Christ and disciple those who respond to Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you for this time that we can gather together, Father, as a church. And God, we're so thankful for this church. God, I'm so thankful for these people. And God, how you've blessed us so much. And God, we're so thankful for you. God, that you sent Jesus to die for us, that we might have salvation. That we are set free from our sins and we have eternal life in Christ. God, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. God, I pray that you would challenge us with being honest about the situation that we're in, the times that we're in. And God, each one of us individually as followers of Jesus, we would fall so much in love with Jesus that we would begin to make disciples. We would share the gospel with those people in our lives that You've placed there for a purpose. And we would be active in the work of disciple making. Father, again, we thank You for who You are, for what You've done for us, God, most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand with us.